Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator as always. Is Colin Brister. We appreciate you joining us on this Wednesday, June the 19th edition of the Rebel Report. See yeah, what I did there? I paused before I said your name, and I clicked on my phone screen, so I didn't have to be like, oh, hell, what day, did, what day is it? So, I, Yeah, I got that down. Work, hard, uh, work smart, not hard. Um, pack show today? Well, kind of. It's getting that time of year. We've complained about it for the last two shows, but we've got some Ole Miss baseball news. Mike Clement, assistant coach, is staying. Uh, Houston Ross still hasn't made a decision. Um... Football is doing quite well on the recruiting trail. I say that like, like, not like blowing smoke, but like anytime you get eleven commitments in a month, that that feels newsworthy. Um, so they got a couple more yesterday. One of them was kind of interesting to me. So we'll get into that some. Um, we'll probably talk some college world series. We kind of got screwed up with the rain last night. Like I wish it. We were recording this obviously at like ten on a Wednesday. I wish they had played the games last night so we'd have something to talk about. Um. And then probably some NBA draft stuff. The NBA draft is Thursday night. Uh, I think it'll be somewhat interesting. Uh, what's up, man? Not much. Not much. Uh, just, just waiting. You know, like you said, that time of year, there's not a uh, ton to ton to do. Yeah. So, but we're content machines, so we got to we got to turn it out anyway. I. Uh, that's what that's what the DM taught us. Yeah. Exactly. It's like fake it if you don't know how to do it. Um, I thought about having Maddie Lee on today. And I, for those of you who don't know who that is, she spent like a week covering Ole Miss, and I'd say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. It was like a couple months. But she got a job covering the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Oklahoman. I thought about having her on for the NBA draft type of stuff, but I don't know like how many people listen to this podcast actually like care at all about the NBA. Like I can't tell if it's – because on the radio show, every time me and Borky want to talk about it, we get this large contingent of people that text in. There's like, I hate that bounce ball stuff. And stuff okay. like that. So now, I, I don't now, know what it is. Hear me out. I don't think the same uh, <clears throat> group that gets on to you and Borky listens to the podcast. Oh, yeah, no, there's 100% truth to that. But there is some overlap, so I don't know how, like, different it is. So, honestly, I need you all to, like, text me or <laughs> or, or, or tweet me, email me, yeah, whatever. Like. What? Yeah, no, please. I'm not giving my number out over the airwaves, but a lot of people that listen to this podcast have my number. So, like, if you have it, like, just text me, like, hey, I listen to this podcast. Because all we have on SoundCloud is numbers and where you're from. And I know we're growing because we grew fast during football, during baseball season and the postseason. Uh, but, like, it would be extremely helpful if you were like, hey, I listen to the podcast. Like, I like the NBA. I don't like the NBA. Or just tell me what you like or don't like about the podcast. Um, that's I, I'm being completely serious here. Please yeah. do that because like I need feedback. Like I want to make this thing better, particularly as we get into like the actual like busy season with football and all that. Um, we're always going to talk about the NBA some because I like it, but like I won't bombard you with it. So you see what I did there? I just pulled the whole you know this is my house, my Xbox. I get first game of Madden, and if you don't like it. You could have your mom come pick you up because you barely made the cut for this sleepover. I just pulled that move. Barely made the cut for this sleepover. Yeah. Is, that, is that a thing Rippy said at 12? That's right. You can kick rocks, buddy. You can get out of my playroom. This is my fort. Um, so, so please please text me. We're already off the rails, but please text me and like, or, or email me, tweet me, whatever you can do. And just be like, 
I like like this is what I like about the podcast. This is what I don't like. We have had a couple people say we need an intro, and that's coming. Um, yeah, I'm working I, with I, a couple Super Talk people, or I'm going to reach out to a couple to see if we can get an intro, so you don't just hear my you know dumbass sounding voice every time <laughs> every time the podcast starts. Like we need some kind of music or something, or. If what you use like real good with like tech stuff out there, I am open to you making me a banger of an intro. Um, just, as the uh, kids say, intro, we should get an intro with like all of our hot takes, and just that should be the intro, like from all the shows. Yeah, with some kind of real inspirational music. Like, what do they play on first take? Like what, something where you're just laying down the fire. We could get all of our hot takes with like the Rocky Balboa music. Oh, I'd be down with that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So if anybody wants to make that happen, holler at me. We could uh, we could work something out. We also have a sponsor, supposedly. I don't think that's finished off yet because obviously, like, until someone hands me an ad read, I'm not, uh, like, not reading it. Yeah, I'm not ad-libbing some ad that I don't know a ton about. Uh, if you want to sponsor us, uh, our numbers are going up. Hit me up. Hit anyone at Super Talk up. So now that we got all that homework out of the way, where do you want to start? Uh, I don't know. Baseball seems to be the uh, forefront of the discussion with the College World Series. That Ole Miss isn't in. They're not in it. Uh, that is a fact. So <laughs> You are not in Omaha. Um, I guess we could start. It's kind of a two-fold conversation with baseball today because Mike Clement um, is staying at Ole Miss. Chase Parham was all over that one. Uh, he reported that he had been offered the Texas A&M job. Um, I don't really know. I can't really tell how much he thought about it. Um, I imagine... It wasn't just a, oh, thanks, this is nice, like, I'm not doing it. I imagine there was a decent bit oh. of thought put into it. Um, but I think that's big for Ole Miss, and I was actually talking with Chase for a podcast hit yesterday, because uh, they're in the same boat we are. They're struggling for content. They go every day. Um, I, can you imagine that if our thing was every single day? I don't know what we'd talk about. We'd be breaking down like nutrition and stuff. Yeah, what I ate last night, and how could we get Rippy over a buck fifty, and maybe you know put the big plates on the weight room? I don't know. Um, can we get Rip to bench press one hundred and eighty? Yeah, exactly. Because I I was at a mean like one twenty in eighth grade football and retired after that. Um, but yeah. So my point being, um, we were talking about it. It is big, kind of twofold because I think it's big. One, obviously, to Ole Miss to have some semblance of stability after you lose a lot with the program. But number two, with the recruiting class coming in that's going to be as high as number three, four in the country. Like, you know, it, Chase made a good point saying basically, like, look, like it, most of the haze in the barn, but it wouldn't have been unheard of to some one of those kids to have, like, a pretty good relationship with Clement, him bouncing back. Like, Sorry, I'm out, too. Yeah, no, that, that's completely fair. Um, along with the fact that Clement's pretty good at his job. So, yeah, I don't think it was, you know, an easy decision. I think he mulled over it. Him and Rob Childress are good friends. He had been at A&M as a volunteer assistant, uh, I think, from 2009 to 2011. I mean, it was a place that's familiar with him. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much more job security he would have had because, I mean, Childress isn't on the uh, coldest seat ever. So, you know, it, it was it's probably a tough decision. For him. I'm sure pay was pro- – A&M would have had to give him a raise, I'm sure, but I'm sure it was, you know, probably the same, too. So, yeah, that was a big coup for Ole Miss to, to be able to keep him in Oxford and, and to work with these guys. Because if you look at, you know, the, the development of some of these hitters over the last three or four years, and, and you can really see where he has an impact for a lot of these guys. The job security part of this is interesting to me. Because you just brought that up, and, and it, it's it's – Yes, Rob Childress is obviously not on the coldest in the coldest seat of all time. For those of you like who may not follow college baseball that closely, Rob Childress is obviously the head coach at Texas A&M. They haven't made Omaha since twenty. Did they go in twenty seventeen? Yeah, 
Yeah, they went in 2017, but it's a little bit like that. To me, that's a little bit misleading. They were like the second to last team in the tournament. They won a regional, so credit to them. But then they hosted a four seed in their super. So people don't give them a lot of credence for that. That's right. It was Davidson, right? Davidson. Yeah, what, right. what regional did Davidson get through? North Carolina. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, no. So that's interesting in the sense that, like, if you're, like, I'm trying to put myself in, in Mike Clement's shoes where you're like, Look, basically, in, in any college coaching, and this is from a thousand-foot view, the general kind of thing is like you're either fired or about to or going to be eventually fired. That's just kind of how the business is. So anytime you can get a restart, that's kind of what you're looking for. You saw it with – I hate to crisscross sports, but you saw it with Dana Holgerson at West yep. Virginia. He kind of peaked with real Will Greer. Obviously, he probably kind of looked around and was like, you know, that's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever had. I'm not sure we're going to have a better crack at making the playoff or winning the Big 12 than we had with Will Greer. Houston's offered me a decent bit of money and a conference is easier to win. I'm bolting. We well, did all the time with like Buzz Williams. Yeah, 100%. Buzz Williams is kind of the same thing. That's honestly that's the king of restarts. Like, yeah. that, that cat every like five years is like up oh, out of here. But it's smart because like you you you. Because one of the things that, not that Mike Bianco should have left, I'm not suggesting that at all, but when you have a coach that's around a long time, you fall victim to your own expectations. That's a long-winded way of saying, like, Clement may be looking for a restart, but, to your point, Childress not on the coolest seats, because they've had some good teams the last couple years, and even before that 17 team that hasn't necessarily gotten the job done in the postseason, they're like a tamer version of Ole Miss in the postseason. Yeah, I would argue that, you know, over the last five or six years, they, they've kind of underachieved more uh, than Ole Miss because the, their 15 and 16 teams were two of the best in the country, and they lose to they lose in Super Regionals. I thought this team from Texas A&M they had this year was actually really, really good, and they just could not hit a lick. That was what was wild. Is they couldn't hit a lick, but their hitting coach is gone because he got hired as the head coach in Nebraska. Yeah, and they pitched it a top-five pitching team in the country when you talk about front-line starters. Oh. So. But like point being, like if you're if you're Clement, you're kind of looking at that and like how much security do I have there, and I almost wonder like because I'm trying to flip this in like back to the Ole Miss side, is I almost wonder if like the uncertainty in Ole Miss's athletic administration helped here, and I know that yep. sounds absolutely insane, but Ole Miss you don't really know what the security is because obviously Mike, there was a time this year when Ross Bjork was still here that Mike Bianco's job was. I mean, we'll say. I mean, it was in trouble. Like they, they weren't playing well. If they had flamed out in a regional as a two seed, they fired if they didn't win a regional. If Ross Bjork was still there, yeah. And so, like, so now that he's gone, like, obviously they're getting next year. They're probably getting the year after that because, like, the new guy's not going to just come in and ax him after a season, presumably. Well, I mean, if it's real bad, they might. Well, and next year's a bit of a reset, though. In some, and we'll get to that in a second. But my point being is, like, like, like you kind of know what Childress's situation is. At least you could probably gather an idea. It's a little bit harder to gather what the situation here is because Ole Miss came off a really successful year, but again didn't make it to Omaha. But there's no one in place to make the moves that would like oust the coaching staff. So I almost wonder if it ha- if if that like uncertainty or just absence of authority in terms of the athletic administration helped here. I, I get what you're saying, but I'm kind of curious here. You know, you said the the new guy's not going to come in and just you know ask people. Well, does that kind of apply to Ross Bjork at A&M? Is, I mean, would he be willing to ask Childress after, you know, just being there a few months before he gets there? Um, I mean, I mean, it is a different dynamic. It is a different dynamic, but I guess it's similar in the sense that, like, 
I mean, that would be a bit surprising if Childress comes in and they go to another regional or super next year and Ross is like, nope, not good enough. Like, don't you think it at least, like, you let a year play out? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly fair. That's what I was saying, you know, with Clem. Because it's interesting because I think, you know, look, I haven't spoken to Mike Clement, but I feel like he might have made this decision based on where he thought he could, you know, where, where the head coach was the safest. And I think he made the decision that was that was Ole Miss because he, he did, I don't, like you said earlier, it wasn't a decision where, you know, they offered him the job. He's like, oh, no, thank you. No, I, I think he really, really considered this and struggled with it. Um, yeah, no, but then we're saying two different versions of the same thing because I think Mike, like the, he looked at which head coach was the safest because there's probably some, un, like the uncertainty in Ole Miss's athletic department probably made Mike a little bit safer by default because, like, put it this way, if Ross is still here and A&M does whatever with their AD, like, isn't Mike less safe heading into next year? Oh, yeah, yeah, it would be another situation where uh, you've got a host to reach one. Yeah, you probably have to host a regional if Ross Bjork still the AD. Oh, I disagree. Yeah, I think you get a reset year because all oh, they're losing. They gotta. It can't be bad next year. They need to exceed expectations, and I guess that's a decent segue into the Houston Roth thing. Kind of. I know we talked the 2020 baseball team into the ground already, but like we'll kind of put a lid on it with this. I guess segment. So Houston Roth has not made a decision to come back yet. Um, no. And if he does, I mean, we'll put it this way: he's probably Ole Miss's Friday night guy. I think, and you may disagree here. I think every day that passes is it's more more and more likely he comes back, right? I guess conventional wisdom would tell you that. Sure. Oh, yeah, just thinking. Yeah, that if he doesn't have an offer on the table that you know he's willing to accept by now, I'm, I'm kind of curious if he's if he's going to get one. And maybe he does. Um, but yeah, he's certainly the he's in the rotation next year, and I would argue that he's probably the Friday night guy unless Gunner takes a serious serious leap. Yeah, and that's, that's so we don't. So, I mean, he is because I don't. We talked about this before. I don't think they want to move Nikhazy off a of Saturday. I think they'd rather him go, you know, run through the conference at eight and two, nine and one as a Saturday guy, which I think he would absolutely do. Because yeah. you know, Friday night you got to have. I mean, Friday night we talked about it before. Better arm talent, you know, better breaking balls, better everything. Like you, you, you give up three runs and you're probably losing the game. Which Nikhazy, as good as he was at times, had some starts like that. And doesn't necessarily have the kind of stuff like of a top-level Friday night guy. I think he's more than like savvy enough as a pitcher to, to be okay in that role. I'm not necessarily saying that. But my point being is like he fits better on Saturday. He's like your Christian Trent Saturday guy. If you remember the 14 team, you saw Trent move up to Friday. And 15, while he was still good and effective, which is probably what Nikhazy would do, it wasn't the same. But yes, unless you're seeing a huge jump from Hoagland, which... And Chase brought this up the other day, too, and I, I think it was a good point. It's not just the stuff with Gunnar Hoagland. That's the main thing. But it's also demeanor. you got to kind of have, like, the F.U. attitude of, like, this is yeah. my mound. I'm about to mow you a-holes down for – I don't think he has that. Who? I said I don't think Gunnar has no, that. No, no, exactly, and that was kind of my point. Like, you got to have the, hey, I'm about to mow you guys down for the next three hours and you're not touching second base, much less home plate. Like, you have to have a little bit of that about you. Like, a, Pomerantz is the extreme of that. Like, Pomerantz was a maniac when he pitched. Yeah. Like, Wall. But you'd rather have more of that than less of it. Right. Wall. Ellis, kind of. Yeah. Ellis wasn't as much, but he knew he was better than you. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> so, like. And Will Etheridge certainly had it. Yeah. And so you got to have a little bit of bulldog in you. And. And I'm not trying to like pile on or knock on Hoagland, but he didn't. And I, he was a freshman, so it can't change. But he didn't really show that at all in demeanor this year. And then you compound it; it's also the stuff like breaking balls got to get better. Has to trust the changeup more. Like 
it, he went too fastball reliant. He left the fastball in the zone too much. You know, he didn't walk a ton of people. That's almost to a fault. Like, you're going to need to walk some dudes, particularly if you're fastball reliant. You, that's not going to fly on a Friday night in the SEC. You're going to get hit hard. No, but I think if the stuff does improve, you can do without the demeanor on Sunday, right? Like, you don't have to be 100%. You could yeah, do it without – if the stuff – depending on how much the stuff improves, you could really – I mean, really, truthfully, you could do without the demeanor on Friday if the results are there. Yeah, but you, you better be – your team better be pretty good because if, if you're kind of not like that, that guy that's got that FU mentality and you give up two runs in the first, it can really spiral on you on a Friday night. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So that's, kinda, that's what they're hoping for. Roth really changes the dynamic of that team yeah. because if Roth doesn't come back, I don't necessarily know what you do with the rotation. You're looking at Hoagland, Nikhazy, and then like – Diamond. I mean, Diamond, Forsyth, those are two newcomers. Derek Diamond out of California, a freshman, and Forsyth is a Juco kid out of Meridian Community College. Um, I'm just Austin Miller. Like you, that's, what I, that's who I was just about to say was Austin Miller. Wouldn't you rather have him as the closer? Yes, but what if I have somebody else that can close? That's fine. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not possible. I'm just kind of thinking, where does he net? Like naturally, where does he fit? It's probably closer. I think he could be a decent starter though. But how long can he extend? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, he went three innings against Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament after pitching two days in a row or so, um, or two times in that tournament. So I think you could get some length out of it. Yeah, and another guy that 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 could make this a bit easier in terms of like feeling better about what you have in the bullpen. Don't they have to get more out of Broadway? I feel like Broadway is the Elko of the pitching staff. Yeah, Broadway, you know, this is his first year to be a, be a full-time pitcher. I think he's got a chance to be the closer next year. I mean, 95 is 95, you know. And, and if he can develop some off-speed, he's got a shot. He was the first guy out of the bullpen this year for Ole Miss during the season. Uh, Miller was. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about the first game. No, Miller was. Are you Miller sure was. about that? Because I'm pretty sure I looked this up the other day. No, I'm 100%. Now, Broadway was the first guy to the panel Saturday against Wright State. Miller came in after Etheridge and finished it. Don't ask me why I know that. I have a photographic memory. Okay, maybe I was mixing up games then. I but swear. No, he was the second guy. Yeah. And really just never put it together. I mean, he barely pitched the last two and a half months of the season. Yeah, yeah I mean, he closed the game, I think, in a regional. or maybe I think it was the regional. Um, but, I mean, he throws 95. For the love of God, you, you got to find him a role, right? Yeah, and he's got to be better. Um, and then conversely, so, like, Roth is huge because that changes the dynamic of the team because, like, when, I mean, if Roth comes back, you got your Friday night guy, you got Nikhazy back, you got a plethora of options on Sunday, whether it be Hoagland, Diamond, whatever. You can use those some of those newcomers out of the bullpen, and then it's kind of like, okay, if you can just figure out the hitting, you're going to pitch it really well. You know, okay, let's just do some simple math. Um, you know, if Roth comes back, you put Roth on Friday, Nikhazy on Saturday, and Hoagland on Sunday. We said Nikhazy's going to go eight and two. I think Roth at worst goes what four and six, and Gunner probably goes at worst five and five. I mean, that's seventeen wins. I don't think that's unrealistic with Roth back. Yeah, and so it all depends on what they're going to do hitting wise, which is. I'm like looking at you, Tim Elko. You know whether the you know Kale Baker, a JUCO kid, Leatherwood, a JUCO kid, Dunhurst, the catcher, as a freshman. Like if they're going to hit at a sufficient level, it's because a newcomer likely came in and not exceeded expectations, but like, like, I mean, was every bit as good as advertised. I guess you'd put it. You know, everybody's going to point to the 17 team, and I get it. I do think these freshmen are more ready to hit than Kester and, and Cooper and, and Dillard were. Why? Well, 
I mean, I hate to say it, Cooper and, and Kester didn't really hit in high school that well. Um, that's certainly not the case here. Kessinger and, and Cooper are one of Clement's biggest, you know, success stories because those guys came in not really as offense, you know, offense-heavy guys. They both left as pretty good offensive players. I think you're getting Gray carried the top of the lineup at times this year, and if you want to talk about consistency throughout the entire 68-game whatever season, it was Cooper's in the conversation with Zabowski. Yeah, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, I, I think, you know, those are the two biggest success stories under Clement because those guys in high school were not, you know, offensive juggernauts. I think these guys kind of coming in are. But if you look at uh, one person's numbers next year as a hitter, and I don't want to say exclude newcomers, but really just kind of look at on the roster already. It's Elko, is it not, if you want to know how this team did? He's got a hit. I can I can make an argument for Keenan because you've got to have that dude in the middle of the lineup that just scares the pants off of you. But, yeah, I would think it's probably Elko. What happens if he doesn't hit? I mean, you probably have to give him the Chase Cockrell treatment. No, nah, I – you got to give him a sample size, though. I think Chase brought up this point the other day. Give him 25 games no matter what. But, man, you get into March and he's still not hitting, you got to do something. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But, okay, what am I replacing him with? Because if I'm replacing him with a guy that's just, you know, not near as good, or, or you know, if I'm replacing him with a guy that I don't really believe in, um, I'll probably just keep rolling the kid out there. because, And, and this is going to sound like a shot at Cockrell. It's really not. I think Tim Elko's got a lot more potential than Chase Cockle did. No, that's completely fair. So, it'll be interesting because Roth changes the dynamic of like, immensely of the pitching staff and how you look at it. Hitting Roth's going to announce he's going to throw five seconds after we drop this. Yeah, I know. It's 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 or, or vice versa. Or I don't know. Yeah, I guess if he says he's come back, we'd be less to change. Um. But, yeah, and then the, they're not going to have a lineup for four or five weeks of the season. Too many newcomers, too many guys to figure out who they're going to hit. It's going to be a work a in progress. They didn't have a lineup for 60 games this year. Yeah, but that wasn't planned at all. Like, that that was uh, that was not by design. So, yeah, um, yeah so that will be kind of interesting to monitor. Roth's really the last domino to fall from a, uh, from a who's coming back, who's going standpoint. Let's mention this real quick. Do you think Hoagland and Nikhazy play in at all on offense? You know, both those guys came in as hitters. Hoagland, yes. Nikhazy, probably not, just because it's really never even been brought up. I mean, I guess I wouldn't 100% put it out of the realm of possibility, but I'd be pretty shocked. Yeah, I mean, I just knew he took BP in the fall and somewhat in the spring before he, uh, you know, got into the rotation. I think Hoagland's got a real, like, I think that's a real, real hitter. Well, Mike said 100, not 100 times, Mike said more than once. Like, Hoagland's going to hit. He's just not going to hit this year. You know, take that for what it's worth. Does that mean next year? Well, if you, if you do some finger math, there's really only three years here. So, if it's not next year. When is it? Yeah, it'd be the next. Um, Are so, you really going to hit him during his draft year? Yeah, that's also a fair point. So, you got that. So, the College World Series going on. Um, as we drop this, uh, you know, you're going to have Louisville and Auburn finish up. Louisville was up like 4-1, to one, and then State plays afterward. Uh I was bummed because I wanted to watch the State-Vanderbilt game last night because this is the time of year where there's nothing on television. I was kind of excited about sitting down, getting some dinner and watching that, and Mother Nature robbed me of that. Um, <laughs> we can just get some lunch and watch it today. But that's the – that's the. I mean, you you got Michigan now one win away from a national title. And, like, I'm not discounting Michigan because Man. they proved to have pitched it really, really well. Yeah. They really, really pitch it. But at the same time, with the way it's shaken up now in Arkansas at home – don't you have to give the nod to whoever wins? Like, the, the the driver's seat to win the whole damn thing is probably whoever wins this state Vanderbilt game? Um, it's, it's a weird answer because 
I think if Vanderbilt gets beat today, I think they've still got a real chance to, to come through the loser's bracket and win. I think vice versa, Mississippi State kind of doesn't because I think Vanderbilt's just got arms galore that nobody else has. But, yeah, I, I would say – How do they do that with those scholarships? It's only 11 scholarships. How do they find so many dudes? 11.8 scholarships. As the man on Twitter said, it's inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, but I, look, I think – Vanderbilt wins this game, but it's not going to shock me if Mississippi State wins it. Sure, they're they're certainly in the driver's seat. On Michigan for a second, though, those cats can play. Like like you mentioned, uh, they got dudes on the mound that that get folks out and throw real hard, and they hit enough. So you know, I, I think Michigan could give a problem to you know whoever comes through that. I also think Texas Tech's got a real shot to come through the losers bracket. That thing, they just bash the baseball. Obviously, yeah, Auburn does. Auburn's going. Yeah, like, well, even if they come back and beat Louisville, and this would have already happened when we dropped the podcast, I, I'm fully aware of that. Even if they come back, they don't have the they don't have the, the the horses on the mound to go through the loser bracket. Louisville does. Yeah, Louisville could do it. Louisville or Tech uh, could do it. I'd probably give the edge to Tech. Uh, yeah, I would give the edge to Tech because they swing it a lot better. But yeah, Michigan uh, kind of just like Michigan got lumped in because one, the Big Ten's historically bad. Two. I think everyone else in the Big Ten was bad because I saw their third-place team, Illinois. Uh, <laughs> newsflash, those dudes sucked. Those guys were not good. They were the two-seed. They were the two-seed in this in Oxford Regional. Jacksonville State was like, why are you guys sharing the field with us? They beat the ace. They beat their ace. They did. That's right. They held him. Oh, yeah. The the little bl- – I'm not trying to be, like pick on the guy, but the blonde-haired guy threw 85, kind of, you know, basically just – Shoved some some thumbing frisbees across the thing off across the plate. Uh, Jacksonville State beat them, so that's your third place team in the Big Ten just getting you know worked oh, by. Oh yeah, the soft tossing left hander that would have uh, that would have really gone well for Ole Miss. Um, but yeah, so I think Michigan got lumped in with that. But then they go. I'm not so I, I don't say this as taking anything away from them because it's clear that they're good. What Tommy Henry did the other night against Florida State was was dominant. They pitched the hell out of it. I, I'm not saying they're not good, but I think people were hesitate to jump on the wagon because Oregon State was a huge disappointment in that regional, and then you're kind of like you're looking there. How good is UCLA? And then that turns into how good is a pack? How good is the Pac-12? Because I mean, State demolished Stanford. Oregon State yeah. didn't make it out of their own regional. Um, UCLA had to work to beat Loyola. Was that Loyola LMU? Yeah. In no, their regional. No. So like, it's like kind of how good is the Pac-12 is. But I was asking a question just out of pure curiosity on the other day. When's the last time in the well, you think How many teams in the last like 15 years have made it to the national title game without playing a single SEC team in the postseason? Ooh, that's a, that's a very good question. It would take way too much time to look up. Like I, I'm, I'm 100% hand up saying I'm not looking that up. I don't care that much. But I'm just going to throw the question out there. They're going to make it if they win the – if they get through or whatever. They're going to make it to the national title game without having played a – unless Auburn does something absurd, having right. played a single SEC team. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, you're completely right. Wow, I'm sitting here thinking about it. That would have uh, to be hard to do, right, with as many teams as SEC puts in the postseason and gets to Omaha every year? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess unless you're, I mean, unless it's an SEC team, yeah, you know, like obviously an SEC team's much like much more likely to not play one yard in the national title. But yeah, that's a wow, that's a really crazy point. Let me ask this: Look, when Ole Miss was announced as a host, we we kind of thought they were the last team, you know, that got a host spot, right? Yes, but not really. 
Like, I, yes, I, they, they were the last team in the conversation, but I didn't think they'd be the 16. We've talked about that before. I, I just kind of wonder if, if they were the 16, are they still playing baseball today? Um, I kind of think they are. Yeah, I mean UCLA. I just didn't. I watched UCLA. I watched a lot of UCLA's regional because they were always the late night game, and I would get done with Ole Miss's regional and have so much caffeine in me I couldn't sleep, and so I'd watch those games late night. And like they never. And I watched the Super too. And like they didn't. They never. Like they they had they pitched it okay, but like they they were never. They never were like oh these guys. And we heard all year how good UCLA and Stanford were, and that kind of turned out to be not true. Well, UCLA just loaded up. This is what kind of the pack does. They've got a bunch of right-handers that throw hard, and against like an SEC school or even Michigan, who's that, got you know competent players, that doesn't translate. Gonna, no, that's not going to work. Like you can throw ninety-five by SEC teams once, and then you're probably going to get popped. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm looking forward to watching that this afternoon, um, and then Is it Plumley for state Plumley, and then again we'll throw the third game. Uh, he is going to throw. Okay, that's what that's what I believe that's what Lamona said the last time they talked to well, state's good. media I'm contingent. I think it's just one of those things. I think it's a less – we talked about this in the last show. I think it's a less severe burns thing. Like, I, I, I don't think – I originally – I kind of changed my thinking on this. I originally was thinking when they started Plumlee was like, oh, boy, like, like Ginn's not throwing. Why would he not throw? But if you kind of look at Ginn's numbers last couple weeks, I think they know Ginn is not 100%. I don't – I think they know that he's probably not in a position where he can't pitch. So you have more faith in a fully healthy Plumlee than you don't necessarily know what you're going to get on a given day against Ginn. I think that's kind of the thinking there. That's certainly fair. I'm just glad Ginn's healthy. Yeah, I hope that gets worked out this off season or whatever. Like, I hope he rested and comes back fine because, like, I don't you, know, you don't want to see a kid that talented with that like lingering arm issues. Like, you don't want to turn it into an Eric Walker thing. You know, it's it's his draft year next year. He's, yeah, because he's, he's a birthday guy, right? Yeah, he's a Ron Rollison. Um, Ron Rollison would help this team. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of we've talked about that before. Not really the 16 class, that, like. It wasn't the fully 16 class. Anyway, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, Ole Miss is committing recruits. <laughs> have, they, have, they, have they committed you yet? Uh, no, I have not gotten an offer yet, or at least not a committable offer. I could probably put one of those things on Twitter that says respect my decision, and I could show up to campus, but I'm not sure they would uh, let me have shoulder pads or something. Do you think that we could get you like in a jersey and pants and get you some of the receiver gloves? I think I could pass as a kicker. I can't kick a ball for shit. I, I'm 100%, but I, I could pull pull off the kicker look. I think I could do that. Like, until we got out to the field and they're like, all right, son, put one through the uprights, I would be straight. But after that, they'd be like, wait, wait a minute. This kid's not on the roster. What, what about a long snapper? Um, no. Because that would just be a, such a funny mental picture. Because I know long snappers don't have to be huge, but, like, like I'm 5'7 with – they're five eight with baseball spikes on it. I'm barely like a buck forty five. Like I couldn't run out there with like a helmet on and then be like, "Oh, this kid's definitely on the offensive line." <laughs> not, not possible. Oh God! They could. Leave. I don't think this. Can't you jump over the long snapper if you don't touch him? No, no, that's illegal now. That's Even if you don't touch him. Yeah. Well, okay, you're right. If, if they don't touch you, then yeah, that's they would not have a problem getting over me without touching me. Is what I, basically what I'm saying. So yeah. So Ole Miss is getting, they've, I believe that's 11, it might be 12 commitments this month. It is 16 total. Yesterday was a big day because they got Eric Reed Jr., who is a defensive back out of Louisiana. Louisiana. I, I, think, I, I, I wanted to say Baton Rouge area. I'm not 100% sure. I think that's right. I think he had an LSU offer if I read correctly. So, okay, so he had a, he had a, 
so he had a good offer sheet. He's a four-star kid. He's six one one ninety. Um, from people I've talked to, they want to keep him. They want like there's a chance he could go play safety. They think he's capable. They'd like to keep him at corner because man, six one one ninety. That's a long corner. Like that's a, that's a dude you can stick in man coverage. Um, they like his skills. They, I mean, he, I, he got he was described to me as a really solid football player. There's obviously you know some body changes going to go naturally with these when these kids get into a college weight room. But like he's kind of a more ready to play type of guy. Um, he had an offer from LSU. Um, I think it was kind of one of those things where it was technically a committable offer. Um, you know, but you know how fluid those things are where teams that particularly recruit nationally waiting on different guys. So I, I think he kind of like he. You know, they got him to campus at Ole Miss. I, I think he had a good time, and I think he, he, he wanted to commit to a place where he knew he'd kind of be a part of the class without a doubt. And that's absolutely what, what this kid is. Uh, he will be in the class if he stays as a commitment at Ole Miss. Um, he's a good football player, and he's the type of kid that, like, you know, we were talking about the other day where it's the, like the – this may have been radio, but, like, the, the – the new coaching staff and the new recruiting staff is more organized in the sense that getting talented kids to campus in a more organized fashion. And I think this kid would be kind of the example of that. A four-star out-of-state kid that they got on campus, that kid you know, liked it once he got to campus and committed. I don't think it was that regular and that organized in kind of the previous regime. Uh, it probably wasn't even that organized you know, last year under Luke. Well, that's uh, kind of what I'm talking about, like oh, the assistant coaches. Like previous recruiting staff but also you know the coordinators you know, they don't necessarily recruit always recruit directly but they play a role in organization and getting kids you know and stuff like that so I, I think it's being handled a lot better this staff Siski's clearly recruiting with the plan they're doing a lot better of getting kids with talent on campus is basically what I'm saying and getting them to camps and stuff and this kid is kind of an example of that the four-star kid from out of state that you get there the kid has a good time and he commits yeah those guys in the recruiting office Siski and Chapman they they do a really good job with these kids and look, they're going about it a different way than they did under Freeze. You know, they're trusting evaluation. They're evaluating kids that maybe you know don't have four or five stars, but but they think can play SEC football. And a lot of these guys have SEC offers that you know you you may not see four or five stars beside their name. That doesn't mean they don't play football or they can't play football. So yeah, this, this, this staff kind of done a really good job from an organizational standpoint, and you know just from a, a talent evaluation standpoint. Look, it, it was always going to be tough recruiting. Uh, you know, under the NCAA cloud. And I think you've seen after they've gotten out of they've done a pretty good job of getting guys that, that can contribute and kind of contribute on an early uh, trajectory. Yeah, and I think it, there's evidence of that with how they closed in February. Um, obviously not the strongest class on earth, but considering the circumstances, a pretty good class. Um, and how they closed it in February, because remember there was kind of a weak close in January, but they did well in February. That cloud's kind of dissipated. They're not having to go into a living room after the kids heard negative recruiting. I mean, there's always negative recruiting going on. I'm not being a uh, tinfoil hat guy, but I'm, I'm saying like, you know, this program's getting hammered and all that. That kind of cloud is dissipated. They're kind of getting in kids' ear more, and I think they're being able to send a more clear and concise message, and they're doing well with it. They got 16 kids now. Um, so the other kid they got was a kid named DeSanto Rollins, who I believe is also a Baton Rouge area kid. I know he is. Um, defensive tackle, three-star kid. Um, I kind of described to me as more of a developmental type kid. Um, I'm not saying he's not going to be in the class, but like, like if you're looking at you know turnover and things changing and stuff, defensive line particularly with a lot of prospects, I think they're going to try to. I think Ole Miss will do pretty well on the defensive line. I think the kid could be a part of that. We'll kind of see. But obviously, from a momentum standpoint, in in June, um, you know they're doing well. That's 11 this month, 16 total. Um, 
And so, uh, yeah, I think it's really just a product of getting kids on campus. Like, uh, I don't think they were doing that as well in the past, and they're doing it good now. So a couple of new pieces. Um, I feel like you see it with a lot of programs this time of year where the coaches try to manufacture this, like, pseudo-momentum where they have a big commitment string. But I think yeah. – and you saw it last year with Ole Miss, but this year is, I think, different. Like, I think a lot more of these kids are actual integral pieces of the class and good football players that they're going to be counting on. So – yeah, that's kind of the recruiting thing going on right now. We'll have a recruiting breakdown each week, right? Yes. Uh, go to Super Talk Mississippi to tell you why you know DeSanto Rollins said Ole Miss felt like home. Um, <laughs> I'm not poking fun at the recruiting sites. I promise. It's just, uh, it yeah, it you know, recru- recruiting such a tough thing to cover. Oh, absolutely. It, it's 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 it's. I mean, there's some guys that covered and love it. There are a lot of guys that covered and don't love it. It's tough. Mad respect to those dudes getting those contacts all the time and talking to kids and trying to trying to get coherent information out of 17 and 18 year old kids. Because I can promise you, if I had a bunch of D1 schools trying to contact me at 17 and 18 years old, I would be all over the place. <laughs> You'd be going to Michigan one week, Texas the next. Oh yeah, I'd 100% jump out of an airplane oh. and commit to like Texas or something, and then the next week I'd jump out of a helicopter and decommit. That's a that's a fun hypothetical. Where are your five official visits if, if you're a five star recruit? Ooh. Um. Seventeen year old Brian Rippey was a five star quarterback. Where is five visits? Okay, so I think I'm putting Alabama because I feel like there's this like. Almost like aura around Alabama. Like, how do they really do recruiting? What does Saban say to you? So I kind of want to do that. Um, I want to go see all the cool shit at Oregon. Like, the facilities and the uniforms and stuff. I want to do the Nike thing. And, like, I feel like that's the coolest, like, Pac-12 school you could do outside. I mean, L.A. would be awesome. Like, don't get me wrong with that. But if you're talking about, like, football-type stuff, like, I'd probably do an Oregon. Um, Miami? Does that count? Miami, okay. I don't know. I mean, they'd be like, yeah, they've recruited me to the U. Like, just being able to say that, I feel like, would be pretty sweet. Um, honestly, Texas doesn't do a ton for me. I, I don't. I could be just completely whiffing there. I don't really care. I um, think you're missing an obvious one. What? Hawaii. Uh, I'd go to vacation on Hawaii. <laughs> so, how many is that? Three? Yes, three. Um, L no, is like LSU? Yeah, see, I would go to LSU for sure. Okay, so that's four, and then the last one. I don't know. I've heard how official visits go at Ole Miss. I'd probably go to one of them. Ohio, Ohio State. Uh, or excuse me, can I preface that Urban Meyer is Ohio State? Because when I was going out of high school, he <laughs> it was 2013. So Urban Meyer is Ohio State. Yeah, I would if I was a 2013 graduate. Kyle would have gone to uh, official visit at Ole Miss. And if I were a Hooper, and it's well documented that I'm not Rick Pitino's Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into the basketball one another day, but I just wanted to preface that well, I would 100 percent go to Louisville if I was a basketball yeah, recruit. What are your five? Uh, well, I mean, me growing up an Ole Miss fan, you know, Ole Miss, and then LSU, Florida State. USC, I've thought about this before, and then Notre Dame. I kind of just think those would all be, outside of Ole Miss, would be kind of cool atmospheres to go to. I would do them on, like, game day weekends, too. I probably screwed up leaving either one of the L.A. schools out. Like, you got to try try the whole recruiting scene in L.A. I feel like that would be pretty awesome. So I would agree with UCLA. UCLA, why FSU? Yeah, 
I don't know. I, their atmosphere has kind of always enthralled me. I might go to Arizona State, too. Who's to say? I've heard uh, Tempe is awesome. I don't know anything uh, about their program. Like, Herm Edwards can sell me on being a man and all that stuff, but I've heard Tempe's pretty sweet. You know, off the rails for a second. Herb Edwards has kind of done a good job out there. After I thought he was going to be a colossal thug. He's not a dumb dude. I think people were just like, this TV guy's just trying to get back into coaching. He's way past his prime. My thing, I'll give him credit. He did way better than people thought he was going to do this year. But what does that turn into? Like, are they 6-6, six 5-7, and six, five and seven, whatever, for the next five years? Then it's not a success. What does he do after that? Like, can he get to 8-9 wins every third year? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, the tenure's not over, but for his first year, he's done a pretty good job. Well, that whole thing was so weird because they were trying, like, they were trying to come out with this out-of-the-box way to justify why they hired, you know, a 10-year ESPN analyst who's never coached in college and hadn't coached in the NFL in, like, 12 years. You know, that's kind of out there. And they put out that very bizarre statement that, like, he's going to be the CEO of the program and the... The coordinators are going to act as, like, his, like, I mean, they didn't say henchmen, but, like, work under him. And, like, that's the only, like, I've read some weird statements where schools are trying to justify some weird things. That's the only statement where I got to the end of it, and I was like, I'm more confused than when I started. I don't know what the hell this says. I don't understand any of this. But whatever it was, it worked. And then he had that opening press conference where he, like, just kind of admitted that he doesn't know all the rules of recruiting. And it's like, oh, but you probably should learn that, Chief. My favorite was, uh, like, a month after he gets there, he talks about how he's going to have to start cutting kids. And I'm like, Herm, you can't really do that. Or in uh, and he had another thing in his opening press conference where somebody asked a question. And I think they made them do like you know state your name and media outlets. So the guy was like, whatever their like rivals or two four seven site was like, uh, you know, hey coach, this is whatever from Sun Devils Digest. He was like, Devils Digest, where'd you come up with that name? He like literally for a second I think forgot Arizona State was the Sun Devils. <laughs> and he starts making like devil's jokes and how this guy named his media outlet that. And of course, I'm sure the guy was like, "What the hell are you talking about, man? Like, I cover Arizona State. Like, what? Is this really that hard to put together?" Yeah. So that it was get off to a weird start. It was like clearly this guy has no idea what he's doing. But to his credit, he did well. Um, so I kind of interested to see what that turns into. So that's our Arizona segment on this podcast. Or excuse me, Arizona State. Um, you got recruiting and Arizona State on this podcast. What else could you? Want? Yeah. What else do you want? Um, <laughs> NBA draft is tomorrow. Uh, hey, Zion's going one. Zion's going one, obviously. Um, Jaw's going two. Jaw's going two. Honestly, having Jaw Morant an hour away with reasonable tickets going. when they play bad teams, sign me up for that. I'll be going to a couple of those. I'm not going to an NBA game. I need to do that. NBA games are awesome. I will give you. I will give you this bit of advice. So obviously, I'm not like a high roller where I'm going to go get like floor seats or something. But don't spend twelve bucks on nosebleeds when you can spend forty five or fifty on mid level. Because when you sit in the nosebleeds, it takes away. Like the whole point of going to the NBA game is like, holy hell, these guys are massive and they're flying through the air, you can't really tell that when you're sitting in the nosebleed. So if you go to an NBA game, like, fork up the extra 40 50 bucks, save up a little bit, and sit, like, relatively low. Because if you go nosebleeds, you can't tell. They all, like, Anthony Davis looks the same as Drew Holiday. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, so, like, it, just sit relatively low. And in, in markets like New Orleans and Memphis, you can get that, per, unless they're playing, like, LeBron or the Warriors, you can get that for relatively cheap. But I learned that the hard way uh, from doing that a couple of times. Don't sit in the nosebleeds. Like, I can't see anything from up here. Um, so, so, sacrifice, like, a trip in the nosebleeds and just sit in the middle section? Just save up an extra, yeah, just... Spend the extra 40 50 bucks to sit, like, in the mid-level, or you can get lower level, depending on what it is. I'm just saying, like, if it's between, like, a $120, or, like, it's between, like, an $80 ticket and a 20 like, do the 80 Just, just <laughs> trust me, you'll, it's it's worth it. 
Um, so I'll probably be going. I'm sign me up for that. I think that'll be fun. Um, so I read last night that the Knicks are seriously considering drafting Darius Garland, which obviously is the kid that Vanderbilt, who's kind of the really the kind of like dark horse in this draft because he was really really good, but of course he hasn't played since November. Um, I think most people really like his take, his tape. Excuse me, he's a guard. Um, but if he's the best player in college basketball because once they lost him, holy God! Yeah, they didn't. They won like two games and did not win an SEC game. So honestly, he should have been SEC Player of the Year. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you know his team ran the table in reverse once he got hurt. Like the um, year that uh, Peyton Manning got hurt, it was like, oh, he's MVP. Yeah, definitely the MVP. But uh, it's, it's, so I read that the Knicks were working him out. If the Knicks, look, Gorwin could turn out to be a really good player, but if the Knicks pass on R.J. Barrett and give the Pelicans, because you remember, the you know, the Pelicans have the the four pick now with this Anthony right. Davis thing. If they give them the free marketing of pairing up R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson by passing on him with three and letting him get four, that seems dumb no matter how good Garland works out. <laughs> yeah. Um, that seems very New York Nickish. Yeah, New Orleans is, is putting together a coup right now. They're the NBA's future, and it's weird to say that about a franchise that literally has forgotten ever since its inception, aside from a couple Chris Paul playoff runs. Literally, like the most irrelevant franchise other than maybe Orlando is literally like the future of the NBA now. Yeah, no, it's exactly what it they is. are. The future. They got draft picks for literally the next seven years. They have two of the more exciting players in Lonzo Ball and, Z- uh, and Zion Williamson. And so help me God, if you get R.J. Barrett and all that free marketing down there from you yeah, know, well, them being Duke teammates and friends, that would be awesome. So please do that, Knicks. <laughs> uh, Chris Paul wants out of Houston. Do what? Chris Paul wants out of Houston. I don't know I if you saw I that. That was a lot, and the fake news media was making it up. No, so did you? So, this, so two on Monday or Tuesday, ESPN dropped a really long, in depth piece written by Tim McMahon, who used to cover the Mavericks for ESPN. Now he's just a national writer, kind of detailing the dysfunction within the Rockets organization. And it goes down from the owner, Tillman Fertitta, to the GM, to Chris Paul, and James Harden. It was a really well done piece, and it, they, they had some issues going on. Like, it, it was. It was it was nothing like terribly major, like it wasn't a Magic Johnson situation, but like it was one of those things where you read it and you're like, okay, this is not nothing. And then the so next day was, it comes out that the relationship is untenable. So what was the, uh, like what happened between Paul and Harden that, that made it so bad? Like I don't want to like bore you with like all the details of the piece, but like everywhere Chris Paul has gone, he's like, like he, in a day and age of new NBA stars, he's one of your last old-fashioned guys to where he wants to win so badly that he, like, is very annoying about it, and he's very, like, he's very, like, sandpapery to where he kind of grinds his teammates into the ground. I mean, okay. he was kind of the main reason, like, those Clipper teams never really gelled, because one of the forgotten things of the late, the mid-20-aughts or whatever you want to call the NBA, I'm talking about 2010 through 2015, the Clippers not winning an NBA title with that level of talent they had is, is kind of just astonishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't get through Golden State before Golden State was Golden State. They choked against the Rockets that year when they were up 3-1, and they hated each other, and Paul was a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely despised each other because, you know, you got two personalities and, uh, well, God, what's that, Blake? Blake, It was Blake Griffin, J.J. Reddick. Like, there was DeAndre Jordan. There was a lot of talent there for them to never get out of the West or even make a Western Conference final. A lot of personality. I'll put it this way. The best way to describe that piece was I don't even like James Harden that much, but I, I, once I got done reading that thing, I was like, I, I kind of think I'm siding with Harden here. <laughs> so 
Paul was that awful. No, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be tenable. But the problem is, he has one of the worst contracts ever. He's making thirty-four million dollars next year. Or he's making thirty-something million dollars at thirty-four years old. No one's trading for that. No, I wouldn't. Good God! So you got um, that going on. Yeah. I mean, he's even that like good of a pass. Like I know, obviously, he lost his step pass. this year. Like people want to yeah. kind of be like the Rockets. They choked or whatever. No, like. James Harden was incredible. Chris Paul lost a step. And that's not even sure that's his fault. He's old, he's 34. But he lost a step. He was not the same as 2017 Chris Paul, or 2018 Chris Paul, excuse me, to where if he doesn't get hurt, they might beat the Warriors at full strength and would have been the only team to do so. Um, But it's a real shame because it's at a time where the West is wide open, and it's like if they run it back, the Rockets could probably make it out of the West next year. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have the talent, too. So, I don't – so, yes, this – Kind of in closing, like please tell me whether you like the NBA or not. We're going to talk about it some because my name's on this podcast, um, but we won't bore you with it. I love the NBA. I don't see how people don't like it. Like it's as wide open as it's ever been. The storylines and the drama is almost like, like almost like primary to the games being secondary, which is just insane to me. But it's wild and I love it. <laughs> oh, and it's just kicking off. Oh, I'm buying League Pass this year. I meant to announce that on Monday's podcast. No, I really am. I'm buying League Pass this year. This is the year that's, I'm deciding. That's how well this podcast is doing. Yes. I'm, I'm buying – that's right. The, the This podcast, we're making the big bucks. I'm buying League Pass. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, you got anything else? I ran through the list of stuff. No, I think that's about it. That's about it. College World Series, I guess, is kind of technically kicked off for today. Yeah, you could be listening to it while it's going on. Um, Trying to think. No, oh, Mailbag Friday is Friday. Uh, that's, that's where. Right. So, Mailbag Friday, like, if you haven't gotten the gist of it by now, this is when you dictate the show. Like, send in a question. Like, we'll talk about it. We literally, every Friday, are like, we're just going to let the questions dictate what the topics are. It's 100% of viewer generated show. So, you know, we're sitting in the uh, passenger seat while you're 15 years old, and, like, we're being like, take the wheel, son. This is yours for the day. So. <laughs> the church parking lot and yeah exactly like keep it in between the lines son like you know gently press the gas you know parallel park all that good stuff it's like when you learn that if you take your foot off the brake the car does move like yeah exactly like please don't wreck this because your mother would kill us um <laughs> kind of that got that going on so you're driving the show friday so send me your questions um you could Text me, tweet me, email me, tweet Colin, email Colin, whatever whatever way you can get in touch with us. We're pretty easy dudes to find um, for the most part. So send us your questions. It can be literally related to anything. We'll obviously, like, we'd prefer some Ole Miss-related stuff. But, like, I mean, last week we got asked about beer, um, who would win, which Ole Miss coaches would win in a fight. It can literally be anything. Just it's kind of like one of those fire away, do whatever you got to do. Um, so we'll have that on Friday. And then – I kind of got some interesting guests lined up, or think in, in my mind for the summer. Um, we'll probably do some NBA free agency stuff with maybe an NBA writer or two, and then really before you know it, man, once we get into football, we can start kind of going through opponents and stuff, and kind of doing the whole cliched football preview. It's not that far yeah. off. We're not there yet, but it's not that far off. Football starts like what two weeks when you go to media day? Uh, yeah, media days is like July fourteenth through the eighteenth, so maybe like three ish weeks. But yeah, oh. not a. Uh, not that far off. It's kind of like, you know, that was Houston Nuts, one of his favorite lines. Like, you know, is, that, is there anything worse than media days, though? No, it's literally just a networking event for media. Like, what is go, what is Gus Malzahn going to tell you in a room full of 200 reporters that's really going to be substantial? <laughs> like, hey, Gus, go through your two deep. Um, uh, 
But yeah, so no, you don't get a ton out of that. But it, it kind of signals the official beginning of football getting cranked up. I guess I guess is basically what that thing is. But it's kind of like a Houston Nuts' favorite thing is like you're not that far off, son. You're not that far off. Um, so, uh, Nut was a big uh, foxhole guy. Would Nut Nut be in your uh, foxhole? It was the first year they made the season, which obviously is the old Miss documentary. He gathered up his players and said, "If you had to go to Baghdad today." You would want me in your foxhole. And if you pause that episode of the season and look around at the players all around him and their collective faces, like half of them look like they smelled a smell that they don't really know what the smell is, and the other half are like, I can't believe this guy just said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm still on that team went 2-10. and ten. Uh, They did, but they got a big win at Fresno State. Never forget. My uh, my favorite uh, part of that season was that Nutt was scrolling Twitter during the Egg Bowl. Like his last game, he was on Twitter during halftime. I've never felt bad for a millionaire. I don't feel bad for coaches because of their bank accounts genuinely, but I've never genuinely felt bad for a human being. So they fire him after that Kentucky debacle. Louisiana Tech, never forget, comes into Oxford and wins <laughs> by three touchdowns. 27-7, to Louisiana Tech won in vaught him oh, Stadium. Then a couple weeks go by, and Houston Nutt, wearing a stupid-looking Ole Miss hat in the rain on the sidelines at Starkville just looked miserable. Did you go to that? Oh, no. I was like not. What, I, no, I was not. I was 12 nah, or 13 at that point. Oof. God, I'm old. Yeah, no, I was like 13, 14 at that point. Point being, like, just the, the sad faces of Houston Nutt in the rain just pacing the sidelines knowing his team has no chance. And Honestly, I think State took it easy on Ole Miss that night in the sense that it was like only 31-3 to or something. Yeah. No, dude, I swear, there is no bush in this, but, God, going to start was always the worst weather. Like, you were never going to get good weather in Starville for the egg ball. Well, like, it's usually, like, for a while there, you had a streak where it was always raining when I was a kid, and then now, of course, it's always just freezing cold. And State does the outdoor press box, which, oh like, in God. September, I'm, like, a huge fan of. Like, I kind of like being, like, because it's like an outdoor, particularly in baseball, like, whatever, like, unless it was pouring down, like, the Reds always open their windows. And it makes a difference. Like, you're kind of more in tune to the game. And I, something about the noise and the ambience and everything, you're more in tune to it. I'm all for it. But, man, when it's, like, 35 degrees outside, like, I don't want to wear gloves while, like, working. And, like, oh, man. Let me, let me tell you, I've covered state championship games, like football high school games, when it's in December and it's 8 degrees, the absolute worst. Oh, and that's terrible where the wind's blowing and you're in a press uh-huh. box where it's not even, like, sure the wind's, like the wind could potentially blow this sucker down and, like, this could be it. So, I, yeah, I've been in a couple of those, too. Um, so, yeah, um, so that's about it. We'll be back at it on, uh, unless you got anything else. I, I don't have anything else written down in my copious notes. <laughs> you keep a notebook? Uh, yeah, big notebook. That's all I got. All right, so we'll be back at it on Friday. Seriously, send us your mailbag questions anytime between now and Friday. Uh, we're probably going to have to record Thursday night. Oh, I'm playing golf Friday, so we're doing a show at Old Waverly promoting to the U.S. Women's Am that's there the next month, and I'm playing golf with Richard and Borky. Um, so, oh, so you'll be in West Point. Yeah, I'm headed to West Point Thursday afternoon. We're going to do the show there, eat some dinner, and then we're playing golf at 8 o'clock in the morning on Friday at Old Waverly. Oh, Stay in West Point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'm staying now. I think I'm at a hotel. I don't, I don't think we're on any of the They do have cottages. some hotels in West Point, I can confirm. Um, at Old they got some pretty sweet cottages, though. That place is awesome. Oh, okay, um, I didn't know they had places to rent out there. Oh, yeah, that place is awesome. Um, so I'm going to try to get in their kitchen a little bit, take some of their money. Um, but point being, we might have to record on Thursday night, so send us your questions ASAP, like literally as soon as you hear this. And if you have any sort of question, just send it my way, send it Colin's way. Um, 
But yeah, we'll be back at it on Friday. We appreciate you hanging out with us again. We're growing. Like and subscribe. Um, you get notifications when the podcast drops. It helps us. It makes our bosses happy, which is kind of like the main point of this. So please like and subscribe. Um, and for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at this on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.